So let's just uh, invite the Lord now to open our hearts. We open our hearts, but let's invite him to fill in as we open our hearts with his presence in our hearts as we come to his word. Father, we thank you for the power of your word. We know that it's sharp. It can separate. It can cut. It can separate spirit from flesh, intellectual from spiritual. It can make the foolish things wise. And Lord, we just come to you now to your word and ask you to speak to us, each of us, where we are, where we need, so that you can move us to look more and more like the intended purpose you've created us for, to be more like Christ. You've created us in his image, in your image. And now just imprint us with your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we've been going through the lectionary, you know, and uh, each week, it shouldn't be a surprise, really, what the theme that's going to be coming out on Sundays is. Like, you sort of had the calendar. I've given you the QR code. You can uh, click it. You can uh, add it to your phone. I just helped Shole add it as a book, uh, or what do you call it, an icon on her homepage. So now she's got a little icon that every time she presses, boom, it opens up the browser and she can see what the Sunday sermon's scripture is going to be. And you can also use it to get your daily reading. So I've been asking around, how many of you have been reading the lectionary? Because there are things that as we've been reading them, the Lord is speaking to us. And, you know, we as a leadership have been following the lectionary Saturday mornings when we come together for prayer. We're using that as a foundation for us to know how to pray for the church and for us as leaders. And I'm using it and others are now going to be using it as we bring the messages on Sunday. And it really helps us not drill down into one theme that we like and we love and we as a church are known for, but it gives us the buffet of the whole scripture so that we can land where the Lord wants us to land every Sunday. So this week, uh, if you've read the scriptures for this Sunday, I'm not condemning you if you haven't, that's not my point. But if you've read them, there's a theme that comes out and the theme is going to be what I'm calling generosity and envy. These are very easily understood words. Generosity is that quality of a person not to keep, but to give. Envy is that quality of a person to look at another, be jealous, be upset about their victory, be upset about what they have that I don't have, all of that. So how did I get to that? How did, how did, that passages of, how did these passages of, passages of Scripture speak that to me? And I hope that they speak that to you as well. So let's go to, uh, actually before that, I want to open a bracket. Uh, it seems that this whole idea of envy is a human condition that manifests itself in very big ways. It isn't just 
Cain and Abel. Remember that story of Cain being bringing a sacrifice and Abel bringing his sacrifice and God blessing one and not the other and being one and not the other and the consequences of the jealousy between the siblings. It isn't just that. It grows and it grows and today we have it very visible and it's all over the news. Maybe to a limited degree in some portions of the world or some places in the world. But uh, we being a ministry of different congregations and one of them being the Armenian Emmanuel Church of the Nazarene it's fitting that we stop for a moment and look at what's happening in Armenia and the surrounding area this is not a political lesson it's not a geopolitical lesson it's not a lesson about what's right what's wrong that's not my point here I don't intend to make that my point but just so that we know what's happening I was on a prayer call on, on Friday night with a bunch of different people that have a heart for that region. And Armenia is this, I guess, brown, beige, orange uh, young girl. You can see the girl, right? Okay, anyway, we, well, that's a different story. When the Soviet Union was dividing the states, USSR, when they were dividing the states, they divided this land as USSA, United, uh, United Armenian Socialist, or ASSR. The Armenian, thank you. And this was also the, Azer, the Azeri Socialist Republic. And they divided it in such a way that this portion was Azerbaijan, and this is Azerbaijan. But in here, and in here, the majority of the people living, I'm talking like 85 to 90%, are ethnically Armenian. So whoever divided it, I think it was Stalin, when he divided it, he just wanted to sort of stick it, like, you know, bug the Armenians by splitting them up that way. And there are political reasons for that, I'm not gonna get into it. But right now, this portion of land is what's known as Nagorno-Karabakh and it is also the self-declared uh, independent state of Artsakh or Nagorno-Karabakh in, in, in uh, Russian uh, but it is made up of Armenians and the Azeris don't like that so they've been having a war over the years in the early part of the falling apart of the Soviet Union Armenia took that portion a major portion of it there was a war in the 2000s there was another like that's that's the war and then 2020 there was another battle where Azerbaijan attacked now some will tell you that what the Azerbaijan the Azeris want to do and this is where it's very close that's called the Lachin Lachin corridor and that corridor is where Armenia and the people of that region sort of connect so that's been blocked and what you'll notice here, right at the spot here, Turkey and Azerbaijan are connected. Some will tell you that Azerbaijan and Turkey have this plan of a pan-Turkic corridor to restore some of the things of the Ottoman Empire. I'm not getting into that. Whatever the reason is, they're trying to sort of not only 
annex this region back into the sovereignty of, and the authority of Azerbaijan, but they also seem like they have plans to sort of cut off the bottom here. Put it in context. It is God, Paul says, when he was speaking to the Athenians, it is God who draws the borders and determines the times of the nations. So it's not a battle that's going to determine what the outline of a nation is. It is God who draws these. It wasn't Stalin. It was God who allowed Stalin to take his pencil and to etch out the map. So whatever the reasons are, God wants it this way. So our job as humans, Christians, whether Armenians or not, we want to pay, pray for peace in every part of the world. Why? Paul says, he has given a nation its time and its border. For what purpose? So that they would seek him and find him. So right now, our prayer is that whether Armenia, Turkey, Iran, Azerbaijan, uh, down here Iraq and Syria and Georgia, whatever region we're praying for, we're praying that every people group, every nation, seek him and find him, turn back to him so that they would be blessed and that they would be able to enter into his kingdom in fullness. Do you agree with that prayer? It is not a political prayer. It is a prayer of a person who believes that God has made every person in his image with the intent to be his image bearer. Whether Azeri, Turk, Armenian, Georgian, Iraqi, Iranian, it doesn't matter. Canadian, it doesn't matter. We've all been made with the intent of carrying his image. Okay? So we're going to pray for that whole region. In that dark gray area, there's 120,000 Armenians. And they're being cut off right now. So the reports that I'm getting are different than the reports that are in the media. What I heard on Sunday or a Friday night by Armenians in Armenia and non-Armenians visiting Armenia is that what you're getting in the media isn't the whole truth. We're getting reports that there is a huge mass demonstration in Armenia's capital Yerevan against the president. That's not true. There was maybe a few hundred. It wasn't thousands like the media said. We're getting reports that the Armenians have attacked. That's also not true. The, the Azeris have attacked. As a matter of fact, in the Azeris attack, right at that uh, cross point where the Soviet Union is now, or excuse me, Russia is, is uh, peacekeeping, one of their top generals, uh, their top personnel responsible for the nuclear submarine division of the Navy, which was uh, bombed and killed. So there's a lot of garbage going on. But we don't want to get caught up in that. We want to lift up higher and we want to pray for these people, all of them, to find the Lord and to be blessed. So let's bow our heads. You can extend your hands to the map if you wish. And we're just going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have made us all from one people, from one man and one woman. You have made us all from Adam and Eve and then later you continued that through Noah and you continue that. We're really one big family. But yet we have right like the very first family, the sibling rivalry continues. Envy continues. 
greed continues. So, Father, we just pray for your blessing over this land, over the inhabitants of these lands, that there would be peace, that people can live at peace and find you. People can seek you and find you. Father, we don't understand all these political things. They're too big for our simple minds. But we know one thing. You are good. And you are faithful. And you will visit. And you will appear in dreams. You will appear in visions. You've already been doing that in this century. Do it again, Lord, in that region. Speak to the hearts of leaders that they would have mercy on the people. That they would have mercy on the young men and women that are in the military. That they wouldn't put them in harm's way, but that they would seek solutions to find peace and to resolve these issues. Father, may there be peace in all of these borders. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So it's interesting. As we come through the the scriptures today, we'll find it quite interesting. So the story that uh, we're going to look at is actually, it starts in... Matthew 20, verse 1. But the interesting thing is that in Matthew 19, verse whatever the last verse is, Jesus says the exact same thing that he ends this passage with. And it was the question about, uh, Peter was asking, so we've followed you, what will come of us? And he says to him, you just follow me, don't worry about everything else. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. Or the first shall be first and the last will be first. So he, he now tells a story to expand that line the first shall be last and the last shall be first it's interesting because armenia has been known to be the first christian nation and it's the only christian nation in that whole area surrounded by muslim nations so it's interesting so let's look at it from this perspective but don't only look at it from this perspective look at the story from the perspective of your own heart for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning, around six, to hire laborers for his vineyard. Put things in an understandable way. Six in the morning, the guy goes out. He probably has a wagon and some horses. And he goes out. He has a vineyard, which means it's harvest time. And he wants the laborers to go in because should there be rain... Before you collect the harvest, the harvest will be ruined and your crop will not yield the same profit. So this, lab- this farm owner, this landowner, is wise. He goes out and he's looking for more workers, more staffers. So obviously he's going to look for a pl- the staffers in a place where it's known that people go and wait to be hired. I don't know if it's called the unemployment line or if it's called the station, or whatever it is, but this is where it's known that if you want to hire people, go there, you'll find them. So these are people that are not regularly employed. These are people that don't have a land of their own to cultivate. These are people that are looking for dignity in being hired and getting a fair wage. These are people like you and me that go out knocking on a door and saying, hey, listen, I need a job. But they're now not hired still. And there is no unemployment insurance like we have in Canada. So they have no other means to support their family other than steal, other than beg. But they have a little bit too much honesty to steal 
and they have too much dignity to beg, so they're waiting for someone to come along and give them a job. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. Now, the denarius, we have no idea what that is in terms of today's dollar value. But at that time, that was the pay of a Roman soldier for the day. So for the Romans to be paying their soldiers that kind of wage, that was like up there. You know, because they were getting the, the cream of the crop from the nations that they would conquer to bring into their military. They didn't want softies. They wanted men that were strong, that were going to be able to stand up, and they wanted them well paid. So to pay a worker a denarius is a good thing. It's about three or four days worth of living. So, you know, it's a big deal. So he offers them this, and they agreed. They're getting a good pay for a day's worth of work, starting at 6 and ending at 6. It's probably a 12-hour day. So off they go. He went out at about 9 o'clock. That's three hours later. He saw others standing idle in the marketplace. Now, in the marketplace is where he found the first group. And he sees a bunch of others that are standing there. The word idle isn't like they were wasting time. In the Greek, it's a different meaning. It means that they were just standing there waiting for something to happen. But think about it. Who would be the ones picked at six? If you're a farm owner, who would you pick at six? The fittest? The strongest? The ones you know, whatever you're going to pay, you're going to get good work out of. You're not going to pick the lame, the weak, the tired, the older. You're going to pick the, the, the mightiest ones. So these are the, the second level. These are the B players. I'm assuming all of this simply because I know culture and I know society. And he said to them, 9 o'clock, so this is the second shift now, three hours later. You also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So what do you expect if now you're only going to be working nine hours out of the 12-hour shift that your buddies just got picked for, what would you expect to get paid? Probably three-quarters of a uh, denarius, right? It's nine out of 12 hours, so that's three out of four, so 75% of what they would get. He went out again about noon. So now we're coming to the halfway mark of the entire day shift. And about three o'clock... So every quarter shift, he's going out, and he did the same. And about 5 o'clock, with about an hour left to work, he must have been really desperate to get the harvest in because he knows there's bad weather. And once the bad weather comes, the harvest is garbage. You're not going to get good money for the grain or the, 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 the grapes that you're going to harvest. You're not going to be able to get good wine or good vinegar or whatever, raisins. And he found... Others standing around and he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? These guys have been standing there for 11 hours. He must have seen them at the beginning that he knows that they're there all day. And Jesus is speaking to, to the crowd that's listening, specifically to Peter and the disciples, and explaining all this, and they know how it works. They've been around that region long enough that they know what the vineyards workers are they know where the marketplace is they know what a landowner would do this is not unfamiliar to them they're getting the story and they're understanding it 
But with every story, every parable that Jesus tells, there's always a twist. And the twist is because he's making a point. He's using the familiar, flipping it so that our hearts are open with the familiar and then flipping it to inject his truth into the scenario. They said to him, because no one has hired us. You know what it's like to be that? Have you ever been outside during lunchtime at school and they're picking teams? And you know who's going to get picked first? And you know who's going to pick second? And everybody is picked and you're still standing there? And the teacher comes along and she says, or he says, aren't you playing? Well, nobody picked me. The game is almost over. It's 5 p.m. The game's over at 6. You're not going to get money to go home and give your kids anything to eat that day. And likely tomorrow, when they're coming to hire others, you're probably going to be one of the remnants. You're going to be standing there for 11 hours and waiting and waiting and waiting. At least these guys didn't pack it up and go home at noon. They stuck around just in case. I guess they knew that in the harvest, when the forecast, well, they didn't have weather stations. When they were sort of getting a sense, because by 5 o'clock, you can tell what the weather is going to be like the next day. And as a matter of fact, Jesus told them this. He told them, you guys know how to tell the weather. If it's red at night, remember what the saying is? Red at night, sailor's delight. It's going to be beautiful in the morning. Red in the morning, sailor take warning. In other words, if it's red in the sky at night, you know it's going to be a nice sunny day. So they keep an eye on these things to know to go out to the market. So when Jesus, when, when Jesus is telling the story, and when the evening came, sorry, uh, because no one has hired us, so he said to them, you also go into the vineyard. So the invitation to the vineyard, this generous landowner looks like he hired everybody that was looking for a job. Because he it tells us here, because he said to them here, he found others standing there. So he hired a batch in the morning, a batch at 9, a batch at noon, a batch at 3. Now it's 5 o'clock and there's still some standing there. And he says, you also come. He didn't leave anybody behind. He hired all of the ones that he could and he's invited them to come to his vineyard to labor. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard. No discussion of pay at this point. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers, all of them, the six, nine, noon, three, five, call all of them and give them their pay, beginning with the last. I don't know why Jesus said it this way, but if I were the manager, I would have pity on the ones that have been working since six. And I would want to give them their money first and send them home so that they can rest. But this manager, this owner, did it differently. Because he, Jesus is trying to make a point. Start at the, be, at the last and then go forward to the, to the beginning. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received a denarius for one hour's work. Man, that's a good deal. Each of them received a denarius. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more. If they worked one hour and got a denarius, 
I worked all 12. I sweat off my back, my forehead. I worked hard. I deserve. I have earned. I am, should I say it, entitled for more. They thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner. Now, okay, let's be fair. You know, when you see someone get for what they didn't earn, it burns a bit. Do you agree? They show up and last minute they get the same reward. Saying that these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat? But he replied to them, friend, am I doing you, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not get, did you not agree with me for denarius? Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but. We agreed, but we didn't know that this is going to change like this. Take what belongs to you and go. I chose to give you the last, I chose to give the last, excuse me, I chose to give to this last the same as I give you. That's my choice. Am I not allowed to do with what belongs to me, to choose, excuse me, I can't even read. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. He started off in chapter 15, ending the chapter with these words. And now he explains it. He stretches out the accordion so that we can begin to see what's at play. Because the first feel entitled always. Have the potential to feel entitled always, okay? Not all firsts feel entitled, but most every first has the, every first has the potential to feel entitled because they've been first. This is the NRSV. The New King James, same verses, puts it this way. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? And this is the part I wanted to highlight. Or is your eye evil because I am good? Now this speaks to that culture. You've seen the evil eye that they hang and around their necks and put on babies and hang at the house. Why? To ward off the evil eye. Have you heard of that? The, the blue stone that's popular in the Middle East and in that region. Jesus addresses it and he says the evil, your eye is evil. Why? That's, that's a true thing that the eye can be evil. That we can look at others and not rejoice for their victory, but we can be envious, just like he said, we can be envious for their success. We can be envious for their position. We can be envious for their land. We can be envious and start a war. We can desire more simply because we feel injustice that's not real. We've all been given the same lot in life. We've all been given the same opportunities. Well, maybe, maybe not. 
The guys in certain lands don't have the opportunities you and I have here in North America. They have their own opportunities as well. We are privileged here. We have to sort of step in and bring that privilege to others as well and help raise them up. In this situation, I feel that it speaks to each one of us directly today in our daily lives. I have a question to ask, and I need a show of hands. And don't be embarrassed. That's a great way to start a question. <laughs> Over the last month, have you felt anxious at any point? Be honest. There's no shame. In the last half a month, I can keep going. In the last week, in the last day, okay. Statistics tell us, it's a very interesting statistic, that today, Christians and non-Christians feel anxiety almost very much the same. But the scripture is very clear, be anxious about nothing. But yet we as Christians are facing the same challenges, it doesn't matter where you live. In North America, the, the statistics are mind-boggling. In North America, Christians and non-Christians, the degree of anxiety that we are facing is mind-blowing. So much so that governments are taking seriously mental health issues and putting in laws for employers to protect employees from mental health concerns. You can actually take a mental health day in some companies and it's legislated and uh, I mean it's regulated in the company and you can do that. Why? Because we're so bombarded with different things. Do you think these workers that started at 6 a.m. had anxiety? They started off at 5.59. That whole group of people that were standing there was at the same heightened level of anxiety. Am I going to be able to take any money home today? At 6 a.m. when he came and grabbed that first batch, that first batch's anxiety dropped. <sighs> I'm going to work hard today. I'm going to sweat. I'm going to feel the scorch of the sun. But I'm going to take home a denarius. I'm okay. The other group that was left behind, their anxiety rose. Because now a group of them had been selected and they were left behind. They don't know who else is going to come. Six o'clock is when people get picked. So their anxiety went up a little bit. While the others went down. You continue. Nine o'clock, he comes and takes another batch. All of a sudden, while all of them were at that same high level of anxiety, that group that was picked at nine, pew, drops. And now they're not as happy as the six o'clockers because they figure that they're not going to get the same money. If they had been picked in the beginning, they would have made a whole denarius. So they're okay. Uh, it's better than nothing. Nine o'clock, same. Three o'clock, same. Five o'clock, the ones that were now, their level of anxiety was through the roof. How am I going to go home and tell my wife I wasn't picked today? What am I going to do? The shame, and now I'm talking about these laborers, but these are actually our issues. You and I feel these same emotions. We feel these same emotions as far as our self-worth when it comes to the work that we do, when it comes to the respect that we get, when it comes to the things that we contribute to society, even within the church. 
even within the church, there's such a high level of pressure that leaders in the church feel. Especially post-COVID. The degree of pastors that are under these kinds of pressures today is exponentially higher than it was before COVID. What does success for a pastor look like? What does accomplishment look like? How does ministry feel when I do it before and after? For elders, it's the same. For Sunday school teachers, it's the same. When our Sunday services are not as attended as they used to be because people are watching online and now, you know, we don't measure attendance as much as we measure engagement and all of these factors. And some of us don't show up every Sunday because it's just, our life is busy, man. I can't make it every Sunday. I'll make it every third Sunday or second Sunday. All of that stuff. And, and the pressures that you and I feel just as part of the interest rates going up. And what does that mean? And you know, there's a group of houses that are going to go on the market soon because people can't afford the renewal rates. All of that, the anxiety level keeps rising. But he comes here and he pays all of them equally. He gives them all the same reward. He wants to spread his goodness. Why? Because he's generous. But we as humans, just like these laborers, have something in our sensors, in our receptors, our eyes, that is off base. And we look at each other and we measure each other's worth based on our own insecurities. Yeah, I know, it's not fair that they got for one hour the same as me who worked 12. I get that. But that's not the point here. The point that Jesus is saying is I'm giving and I'm generous and I'm going to give everybody all that they need. Whether it's for one hour showing up or for many hours. Armenia was the first Christian nation. Azerbaijan is not. But if Azerbaijan changes today and becomes a believing people, they will get the same reward as the Armenians who for 1,700 years have been standing holding the light. Same with us in the church. Same with us in society. The minute that we open our heart to others coming into the kingdom of God, their reward is the same. It's total. They will get it all. They will have it all. They will receive the same blessing. They will receive the same goodness of God. They will receive the same. And, and that's our job, is to open the door for them. Our job is to open our hearts and open the door and not start competing with one another, compelling one another to feel less, but to push everyone up. Can you imagine if it was backwards? And the story was when the, when the workers who got there from six o'clock saw the five o'clockers get the denarius, if they stood up and cheered and said, Woohoo! You got another denarius as well. That's amazing. I'm sorry to make you jump, but good for you. You got the same thing. Next day, maybe I'll be the one. It's a wake up call, right? Imagine if that was the case. Imagine if that was the case. If we cheer each other on instead of pulling each other down. Jonah was such a man. 
this story goes beautifully with the scripture that we just read. Jonah was a guy who God called out of the people of Israel to go to Nineveh in Assyria. Nineveh was known to be a city that was awful. They would behead their enemies, impale them on poles. They would cut out their fingernails and cut out their eyes. They were a torturous people that were not civil in any way. They would attack a people and they would destroy it. They actually had attacked North Israel and took it over. And then later on, they took over South Israel or Judah. And they were just a, an angry, angry mob that would pursue and get what they want. They were strong militarily. They were strong with fierce soldiers. And now God tells Jonah, go into that land and tell them to repent. Because if they don't, I will come and judge them. And Jonah doesn't want to go. Because he wants them to get punished for what they've been doing. Rightly so. But God had different plans. God tells Jonah, by the way, Jonah means, the name means dove or pigeon. That's an interesting twist to the story, isn't it? You know that Jonah was, what happened to Jonah? He got swallowed by a whale. Okay. Usually it's the birds that eat the fish and not the fish that eat the birds. But Jonah doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to go. He gets on a boat to escape and the boat is drowning. He gets thrown off the boat when they find out that he's the one that's disobeying God and they figure, okay, he's a bad omen, get rid of him. He gets thrown off the boat and the fish eats him. And then in the middle of the fish, he's actually praying. And the fish spits him out in this basically vomit that lands on the beach. And he's covered in fish gut fluids sitting on the beach. And he's upset. And he whispers something. God tells him, go tell them. And he doesn't want to go tell them. So he doesn't get to go to tell them, but he just stands there at the beach disgusting looking smelling like whale acids and he says repent because God is going to judge you he doesn't scream it out like I did earlier he just says repent God is going to judge you somehow they heard him and they repent and when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them but this was displeasing to Jonah. Do you see the, the similarity between the two stories? Jonah was one of the 6 a.m.ers. Nineveh is the 5 p.m.ers. And now they're going to get mercy. Now they're not going to be judged by God. How is this fair? And he wants to die. He prayed to the Lord and says, Oh Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? This is why I fled. To Tarshish at the beginning. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God. Slow to anger. Astound, abounding in steadfast love. And relenting from punishment. 
Oh, and now, oh Lord, please take my life from me. Now that you've saved them, I knew you were going to do this. They deserve to be punished, but I didn't want to tell them that you're a good God, that you would forgive them if they repent. Now that they have repented, take my life. I don't, wow. Already he escaped dying in the water when the, he was, the boat was falling apart. He escaped dying when the belly, in the belly of the fish when he was swallowed up. But now he wants to really die because he saw that they also got what they don't deserve. They got mercy. Examine your heart as you're listening to these words. And the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down in the east of the city. Anyway, he tried to, he, he was upset. Made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. He still wants God to judge it. He still doesn't believe that God is going to really forgive it. He, he told him, he's, I know you're a good God. God appointed a bush and made it cover, come over Jonah, give shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. And when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush, so it withered. But when the sun rose and God prepared a sultry east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. It's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? Yes, he said, angry enough to die. The bush that came and then later the worm ate it. And then and God said, are you concerned about the bush for which I did not, you did not labor and for which you did, not, uh, you did not grow up? It came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also many animals? God is concerned about every single individual. God is concerned about every single detail. We have a judgmental, envious potential that needs to be brought to the Jesus, to the cross, and crucified. I don't know what you're feeling as you're listening to all this. I don't know who you're imagining in your mind who you're dealing with, who you're struggling with, what situation you're struggling with, how you're measuring what the answer is. But whatever it is, if it involves looking down at anyone, if it involves you feeling superior to anyone, know that that's not God. If it elevates you to feel the way you do, that's not God. If it makes you want to feel like God and say, I care for every single one. I want every single one to do well. I want to stand behind them and cheer them on to go even higher, to achieve more, to become more. That's God. He was concerned about a, uh, a city, Nineveh, with 120,000. I assure you, he is just as concerned about Artsakh 
or Nagorno-Karabakh with its 120,000. It's interesting that these numbers just line up like that. He speaks to us in different ways. He's trying to bring us to the place that we just stop this foolishness that's inside and love beyond measure like he does. Extend mercy. Extend grace. Be a model of him on the earth, which is what he wanted Jonah to be. He wanted Jonah to be a prototype of the Holy Spirit that later came down on Jesus and now has filled you and my heart. He wanted Jonah to be an expression of what the role of the Holy Spirit is going to be in the New Testament. He wanted Jonah to be a witness, to go and share to a, a, a city that God is merciful, repent. He doesn't want to judge you. He wanted the Holy Spirit prototype, Jonah, to be that example of, hey, listen, I know you're struggling right now, but here, let me give you a hand. I know you're struggling right now. You weren't picked at six. You weren't picked at three. You weren't picked at five. You were, you were picked at five at the very end when you felt that you, you know what's amazing? Is these five o'clockers didn't go home. Maybe they were too afraid of their wives. I don't know. Maybe they were hoping somebody's going to come along and give them a little bit of cash. They weren't begging. They were just standing there in the marketplace waiting. You and I are in a unique position right now. The Lord wants to open our heart and bring us to the place where we understand this. Are you envious because I am generous? He is a very generous God. If there's a hint of envy in any of our hearts, let's today cut it, repent, so that the last will be first and the first will be last. I have huge comfort in that word. Because whether you're first or last, you're in. Some would say, you know what, I want to be last, I'll only work an hour. <laughs> There's no guarantee. You don't know when the day ends. Because if the rain came at 5 o'clock, right, you wouldn't have been picked. It was too late. So you might as well get picked first. Enjoy the fellowship with the others in the sun. Work up a good sweat. You'll be better for it. Let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we invite you to work among us even deeper. Lord, if there's a hint of envy in my heart, I ask for your grace. If there's a hint of resentment, if there's a hint of judgment, if there's a hint of measuring others less so that I can feel better about myself, forgive me. If there is a hint of resentment or judgment about others that they deserve judgment, 
your judgment. Forgive me. Allow me to walk in the same grace that Jesus walked. I invite your dove now, your Holy Spirit, to fill my life with fullness, with grace. It's him who leads to repentance. Actually, it's your goodness that leads to repentance. Jonah found that out, didn't he? It is your goodness, Lord, that leads to repentance. So, Father, as your goodness flows over us, we were singing earlier, as your goodness chases us, fill us with your presence, fill us with your spirit, and make us an expression of who you are in this generation, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.